0: supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. AM 1420 WBSN presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costain.
1: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Wiseberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. A little bit of a late start here due to some technical issues in the studio. You know, the, the studio is fine. It's the things that we use here for the myriad of other media that we bring in with us. So the, the podcasting recorder was the issue. But you got it all set, right Matt? All right. Yeah, because nodding works on the radio. <laughs> he uh, he says that we should be good to go I don't know, his microphone's like 10 feet away we should be good to go so this show will be podcast so those of you who are listening live you can just go to bed we'll talk to you next time no you don't want to do that we're also broadcasting on Spooky TV if you go to and click on the Spooky TV icon you can uh, you can see us here in the studio and you'll see that we have a guest with us in the studio tonight we have Bill Gothier uh, he is a uh, are you? Do you refer to yourself as a horror writer specifically, or do you just say author? I usually just say writer. Writer?
2: Yeah. Um, other people will call me horror writer. That's fine, because they are a long line of people who've done a lot of good writing in horror. Um, but I tend to prefer horror because, I uh, don't uh writer, because it sounds a little bit nicer when you're talking to people. Mm-hmm. You say the word horror, they expect automatically, you know, for you to, I don't know, want to... Eat babies or run over old ladies. You know, don't or don't knock like it though. That. I mean, with the
1: right with the right a marinade. Bit of lemon sauce yep.
2: and a nice crisp crust, they're fine. But you know, you keep that stuff at home. You know, it's not exactly allowed in public.
0: It's always hard to find a good wine to go with them too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, watch out, this guy. This is the guy that's famous for his meat barbecues in the summertime. So I will have to get together. Yeah, we can't be sure if he's kidding or not. But uh, no, I mean let's talk tonight about the idea of horror writing and, and because we are obviously fans of the genre doing what we do and Absolutely. you know living the kind of lifestyle that we do, but it's something that we really haven't gotten into the, the meat and potatoes of. We're gonna bring on another writer with us too. We're gonna bring in Chris Balzano, the fourth man here on the spooky south coast, spooky crew. I'll I'll get that, Matt. That's all right. <laughs> Wanna hit the air button? Alright, there you go. Sorry. I I always wait till he's in the middle of doing something else, Chris, when I ask him to bring somebody on or do something else.
3: <laughs> the fourth man, but yeah, first in your heart, right?
1: Absolutely. He's uh he's number thirty seven on the uh, bestseller list, but he's number one in our hearts.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish.
1: <laughs> well, uh Chris, uh thank you for helping us put together this show uh last minute because our our regular guests, Kristen and Manny from Bridgewater Triangle Research, they uh couldn't be with us we are going to reschedule with them it was an unforeseen uh, emergency that popped up so we'll have them with us uh hopefully in the next coming weeks but uh, but for now i mean i know that we've been talking about having bill on for for quite some time now
3: yeah when when he first emailed us and, uh, and sent the books out i read it and i was highly impressed and, I, and i've talked about it in the chat room a little bit and online and then uh and then we had a thing just days just kept like filling up with guests and and we kept pushing it back, pushing it back, until we had an opening tonight. He was the first person
1: I thought of. So, Oh, thank you. Well, I think I first got in touch with you a few years ago when uh, I was trying to put together the Horror Rider Roundtable that we had planned to have. Yeah, about
2: five years ago. That's how I learned that there was such a thing as Spooky South Coast, because I generally don't pay attention to much of anything, and <laughs> except for, you know, stuff, stuff that's not... Uh, How to put nicely? WBSM. Anyway, um, (laughs) that sort of stuff. AM radio. Um, And I, I think I'd heard a little bit of something about it, but I don't tend to follow a lot of paranormal sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't really believe in the paranormal and whatnot, so I had never listened to it. So when you sent me the email and asked, you know, would you and uh, Greg F. Giffune, who actually helped my career, helped discover me, uh, about ten years ago, as crazy as that sounds to me now. Um, I said, oh, well, yeah, cool. All of a sudden I'll start listening. And and I know I'm just breaking all kinds of rules and probably it just ruined any chance of being invited back. But, you know, truth will set us free, I guess. Well, and
1: that, that was our theory. We figured that if we just <laughs> pretended like we were going to have you on, we could get you to listen.
2: There you go. There I you actually go. sent that email to everybody in the world. Well, thank you. Thank you. That. That just, um, oh, what do you know? I got something to do, Bridgewater or something. I, I just said, hey, whatever it
1: is that you do, we want to feature you on the show. No, but I mean, we really did want to have that, that show. And that's at a time when we were uh, not really – we didn't know what the limitations were going to be of doing this show. Like, yeah, we just yeah. assumed, okay, there's four or five microphones. We can bring in ten people and have no problem. And it was just logistically we could never find a way to do it. So we'd actually talked about bringing it outside the studio And doing it somewhere else, like at a conference table with a bunch of microphones set up. And it just became more of a laborious thing that we never actually got into I
2: was always glad that it never actually came to fruition, only because at the time that you contacted me, I had all of one short story that had really done anything at all. And a column that maybe three people read, not even people I know. Um, So it was one of those things where... As exciting as it sounded at the time, I was really terrified about the idea because I would have felt like a poser. As of now, where I have three small public, small press published books that you know, only five people have read. One of them, I know. I feel much more accomplished and you know, ready for this big unveiling.
1: Well, in, in this area <laughs> here, uh, and for those who are unfamiliar, where South Coast is, it's the South Coast of Massachusetts, the armpit of
2: Massachusetts. That's
1: that's exactly well, and I love
2: it. I love it here have to say but
1: we're Wareham guys <laughs> as is Greg uh, yeah. so uh, we, we literally live in the, the armpit itself but <laughs> it, is there a really good horror writer community in, I have in this no area? idea
2: nobody's ever contacted me I know that there are there's actually an organization now called um, the New England Horror Writers Association um, that I stumbled across or saw on Facebook uh, there's a woman named uh, I believe Tracy Carboni, who uh, is one of the one of the people who run, who run it, and it's a free organization that people have joined. I joined because I saw that they had newsletters and would help promote the books mm-hmm. and cool people like uh, the the writer Christopher Golden, who um, is a fabulous writer and actually has been around for a long time. has written uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer books and Hellboy novels and things like that. Um, I know that he was a part of it and a lot of other. Names I recognized, so I said, "Oh well, you know that that will be cool." I've never gone around. Um, I've never met any of them, but I'm also very, very shy and sort of get get anxious. I had this, I went to a, a convention of horror writers that's actually held every year in Bristol, Rhode Island. Uh, wanted to go for years and years and years. Paid the 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 fee for just showing up instead of staying overnight. Got there, was there for about four hours had a small panic attack in a bathroom and left. Wow. So it was one of those things where I don't get out quite much, but my wife is listening to this and going, "I can't believe you just said that."
1: <laughs> well, I mean, part of the part of the deal with it too is like you read some of the stories of some of these writers and you start to wonder about what they might be like <laughs> as people when you're reading the stuff, the horrific stuff that they're writing. I mean, it's great writing, and it grips you so much, but it kind of scares you a little bit, and you say, gee, I wonder what goes through their minds. But then I'm sure when you do meet them, they're the nicest people From in the, the
2: world. F- from the few people I met, I met Christopher Golden. I actually did a signing with him up in Boston um, at this great uh, science fiction horror bookstore called Pandemonium Books. He was the most pleasant person I've ever met. I have heard that uh you know the king Stephen King is a quite pleasant person. As a matter of fact, my wife has met him when she she lived in Boston when I met her and worked at a uh, an art gallery and um she she met him and his wife on several occasions. They would come in and buy some I think she had said some weird sort of dog paintings or something that she would never have imagined that Stephen King would like, want to buy, but she said he was one of the nicest people. Uh, from what I could tell from that Nikon thing, though, I did not talk to anybody. Everybody was quite friendly. I just was sitting sitting in the back, taking in the the talks and stuff. And I think that had there not been a three hour delay between the last talk and the actual social gathering, I probably would have ended up by being in the mix and everything else. So, from and, and Greg Giffen, who I've never actually spoken to but have had an email correspondence with, him, is really actually one of the reasons why I have one of the novellas out right now. Um, you know he's been nothing but nice. So from all intents and purposes, with the exception of a few, I guess, you know, people on the fringes, most of us tend to lead normal, somewhat normal, healthy, friendly lives.
1: Well, they get out. They so get out the dark side of their personality and their right.
2: Absolutely. I mean, why why go out and uh, you know trying to get that bus full of nuns off the bridge when you can do it just as easily
1: in a book and nobody gets hurt and they'll give you money for it? So <laughs> there you go. You know. And, uh, Chris, I noticed uh, while you were in the chat room there, uh, I don't want to give away your secret name, but uh, while you were in the chat room, I noticed that you were uh, contesting the idea that there was a writer involved with Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
3: Yeah, I don't want to go there. Uh, I still like to think that uh, the entire thing is just someone was going to walk around with a video camera, Buffy's a real person, uh, no such person as Freddy Prince Jr., yeah, <laughs> so let's just let's just leave it at that,
1: brother. Chris and I were having a. Con- I'm going I'm to tell this story on the air now. Chris and I were having a conversation earlier this evening, and I mentioned Freddie Prince Jr. and he's like, "Who?" <laughs> I said, "You know, Mr. Buffy," and he's like, "No, no," <laughs> I was not allowed to say that.
3: <laughs> My life is too real. I have to have a few fantasies, all right, kid.
1: All right, I'll le- I'll leave you to that one. Uh, right. But I mean, I mean, Chris, you you were. Up, when you did live up here, I mean, you were involved with a, a lot of local writers and local authors and everything, but more on the nonfiction side. Uh, it seems like, though, that there's a, a very burgeoning community in the fiction side. Did any of them ever reach out to you to ta- kind of tap into some of your research?
3: Um, you know, originally, and I'm actually thinking about contacting me in because I just heard he just had a, uh, he's had a novel published, uh, an old friend of mine from, from college, and we had a really great idea of writing a dual book, which would be uh, a nonfiction book about paranormal cases and then giving those paranormal cases to the hands of different fiction writers and allowing them to then write a fiction story. And so it's almost like a fact or fiction kind of book. And, and we were really enthusiastic about it. It kind of ended up falling through. and We weren't able to follow up on it. Some people said, you know, you're blurring the, the line a little bit. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, Maybe that's what the paranormal needs sometimes. It needs to have that blurred because, you know, when we start getting back to the stories that sparked our interest in this thing in the first place, maybe then we can start getting some more, you know, genuine explorations of it.
1: Absolutely. And you mentioned yeah. something interesting, Bill. You said that you're not really a believer in the paranormal.
2: Oh, um, um, yeah. I'm a, I, I don't believe really in the i I shouldn't say really i don't believe in the paranormal i'm a card-carrying atheist i'm everything that uh people run and cringe from as far as those sorts of beliefs i don't i tend not to you know talk about them especially in this area they're not popular beliefs necessarily but i'm not however they're fascinating it's fascinating that people would necessarily to me have that sort of faith in something or need that faith in something it's great i wish i had honestly i wish i had that um it would probably c- calm down some of the those anxieties that i was talking about um but what's interesting with what chris said and um not to keep bringing up the novella because i don't want to be one of those people like you you're talking about talk shadows but shadowed, shadowed the one in general that one um um, available in ebook anytime now and also limited signed numbered edition through delirium. Um, uh, deliriumbooks.com, something, I don't know, whatever. Um, but there,
1: all your, all your relevant <laughs> sites are linked up to our site too, spookysouthcoast.com right, right. on the front page. Uh,
2: uh, cool. Um, that, that one actually, that story came to me, not, not just out of the blue. I actually, back in 2003 had decided that I wanted to try to really jumpstart my writing career. Um, My short story that I mentioned before, which is called The Growth of Alan Ashley, had just sold to a really cool, prestigious anthology called called Borderlands 5, uh, edited by Elizabeth E. and Thomas F. Montialoni. And uh, Tom Montialoni has been a writer since, I don't know, early 70s or something. And I had grown up reading the Borderlands books. and. They had finally opened up. It was, I think, seven, ten years, something like that, between book four and book five. They opened up the the um, uh, they opened up for submissions, and I had decided that I was going to uh, send them a story. Uh, the Growth of Alan Ashley was accepted. I never thought it would be. It was in the book with Stephen King. I was thrilled. Da da da. Well, I decided that I wanted to try do something a little bit different and try doing a short story a day, which up until that point was something I had never tried and have never tried since. And so I had emailed a couple of friends asking for, you know, ideas, stores. I have some friends who are artists and saying, throw me anything that you have. Doesn't matter what it is. I will write a story about it. I want to do seven stories in seven days. And the very first story came uh, from a friend who sent me a link to this uh, website. Um, I clicked on the, the link. It went to this website that had a photograph of a teenage girl's bedroom with this shadow person in it. And it had the story about how the shadow person was haunting her and, you know, touched her and things like that. And I said, I'm not writing this story. I'm trying to break out of just doing horror. I'm going to whatever. That's no, forget it. Delete. Whatever. And then I'm sitting there that morning, that Sunday morning, I decided it was gonna start on a Sunday and end on the Saturday and I'm sitting there and thinking, hmm, the voice that I think everyone has, but the voice that I know that I have, not this David Berkowitz kind of voice. But, um, it's not coming from the dog? No, it's either? not coming from... I don't have a dog. Um, but the uh, the voice says, you want to write this? And I said, okay, um, What what is going to happen? At the time, I had just popped in because I'm a really, really cool person. The, uh, Sarah McLaughlin CD and the song Possession came on and the first lines of the of the of the song and then leading into the the chorus um something i want to hold you down and kiss you something can't breathe i don't know i said that's that's the story Mm -hmm. that's the story and so i went back and i think the first lines of the story of the song were uh listen as the wind blows across the great divide uh voices trapped in yearning uh memories trapped in time voices trapped in yearning became shadows trapped in yearning and that was the short story that i wrote all these years later greg affune was the one who kind of i I tried it as a novel as well and um when greg affune had emailed me asking me if i had anything for this uh delirium novella line i said i have a 50000 word abandoned novel i can cut down in half and that's how that came out but yeah what chris was saying it was Came from this thing that I totally think is total and complete BS, but yet the story just captured me. The idea of it captured me. The idea that there's this shadow thing that maybe you can't see face on and stuff. And I, I don't know if that was part of the story. I think that was something that I had been carrying in my head, something just off the peripheral vision. Every time you turn, it's not there.
1: Do you, do you
3: well, feel? It was interesting you said you, you didn't have an interest in the paranormal because having having read uh, Alice on the Shelf, it did to me. It seemed to strike upon a lot of the things we talk about on the show, you know, maybe not local hauntings or, or what is this ghost group doing, but a lot of the things having to do with, you know, why do we touch upon these, these, um, these ideas or these themes that are constantly kind of kind rolling around in our popular culture and our literature? Why do we keep fixating on them and then kind of transfer those over to these hauntings as whether it might be, you know, the reason for haunting or what sparks people to get an interest in this and so you know i think that uh that that's you know Shelf Michelle is a perfect spooky south coast kind of book club book
2: oh thank you yeah um um <clears throat> excuse me that's um that's something that's always sort of fascinating because when i was a kid when i was when i was right up until around i'm going to say 11 or 12 my belief systems were just the opposite of what it is i believed everything i mean you know i i went to bed put the covers on real tight because i didn't want the thing under the bed to reach up and touch me um i remember i had an incredible hulk poster the luferino incredible hulk and he was posed and my mom had bought it for me because i was a fan you know and i hated the poster because at night when the lights went off he'd start flexing those muscles and doing the Hulk thing and I was convinced he was going to jump off and and this is yeah, that's the younger kid stuff, but right up I remember being, you know, twelve, thirteen, right after um my Pepe died, um, when I was eleven, I remember thinking, you know, he's probably watching me right now and that sort of thing and it freaking me out, especially when you get to twelve or thirteen and the changes start happening and you
1: start finding yourself alone in a bathroom and stuff It <laughs> <That laughs> never stops <laughs> i i can tell you my, the the first uh, horror story that i read that really got to me i was probably about seven uh first or second grade i don't remember exactly when it was but i got out of the turner library in randolph and it's it's a collection of like ghost stories for kids yeah. and one of the stories was about a, a boy whose father was a sailor and he drowned at sea and he had this picture of him hanging up in his room and you know he when he would go to sleep at night, he would see like his father drowning in the picture, his hair would be all wet and, oh, man. and like that really <laughs> that really got to me and but that started you know my love affair of reading these stories, and I never thought that I would have when I later became a writer, I never thought I'd be able to to tell the story in a way that scares people. I mean, how do you know when you're telling something that there is that element to it that it's going to be? Gripping enough in that manner.
2: I have no bloody idea. Really? I, I just, I just, I go blind. I, I think for me, one of the the things that helped me was the fact that I was so young when I started writing. I was thirteen when I started to write stories, and I've been telling stories my entire life. I didn't. I was actually afraid of almost everything. I remember we were so excited to get cable when I was six years old, so that we could finally watch Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you'd waited to hear it all about it, You're and it came. Caving yourself. I, I know, I know. That's fine. Well, it sounds
1: like we're about the same age. As, as well. you know,
2: I don't mind. I'm 33, it's still relatively young. Yep. Science. Moni's
1: Moniz was already, you know, 40 years old by the time that video came. Uh-oh. Out.
2: Well, um <laughs> yeah, we we were so excited about watching Michael Jackson's Thriller that uh it came on and I couldn't wait and I I sat down in front of the TV and it starts and they're doing this and then he, he, he bends over lifts up the yellow eyes and i screamed and ran out of the room so that was my first real exposure to horror and i stayed away stayed away and then around nine years old eight or nine years old I started suffering from insomnia and i would get up and sneak out of the 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 bedroom and we lived in a very small apartment at the time and my sister <laughs> my, <laughs> my sister was uh sleeping in the bunk bed up uh, above me or below me, I don't remember, and I'd come down, I'd sneak out, shut the door, and I'd turn on HBO. And the parents would be sleeping, and the volume would go down, and I'd get a whole new education through HBO. And one of the things that would be on off, uh, often would be horror movies. Mm-hmm. And I would steer clear from them for the longest time. And then one night, I saw this movie that I kept seeing commercials on, some movie called The Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two: Freddy's Revenge. And the only thing I remember from the commercials was the Freddy jumping out of the uh i guess french glass doors and disappearing and i thought that looked like the coolest thing and uh just around that time my parents um had a night free of the kids we went to grandma's house and they went out and did whatever parents do when kids aren't around and apparently one of the things they did was watch nightmare on elm street and my mother let me watch that she, she i had told her right around that time i can watch your thrillers with you now on dialing for dollars or whatever it was that w- they would come on she'd say so she said look i watched this movie it was called *The nightmare on elm Street*." There was two of them um, dating myself again. There was only two at that time. And um, she said, I'll let you watch it. And I'm nine years old. And she said, I'll let you watch it. But let know this. It's scary. The first one's scary. The second one sucks. The first one, that's what she said. The first one's scary. And I'm not going to let you come into the bed if you have nightmares. So I'm going to let you make this grown-up decision on your own. And I think a Po of her was saying, "If he watches this and never watches another horror movie, and you know he's better for it if he watches it and likes it, well, I've given him this thing. he's old enough to make that decision one way or the other, and I watched it, and I loved it uh, it was it was it was crack to me it was just." <laughs> I became obsessed with Freddy Krueger. I also had nightmares beyond belief. And to this day, every year, I'll have one Freddy Krueger nightmare a year. And the old Freddy, not the new meatball-headed Freddy from this past year um, that my wife graciously went to see with me at the North Donuts Mall at 1030 on a Sunday morning. And I felt that I needed to (laughs) put that on the air because I want everyone to know how much of a saint she
1: is. That's the perfect time. But... Uh, it's uh, it's it's amazing how similar it sounds like our childhoods were the same yeah. thing with me i couldn't sleep i used to sneak downstairs turn on the tv and i would watch you know they ran the old black and white universal movies like i, I think i saw uh, house of dracula yeah. and uh with the count alucard you know like i remember watching <laughs> those movies and then dialing for dollars seeing the howling and and the original halloween and all these movies and it was the same thing Creature Mike. double feature on oh, channel 56 absolutely.
2: that's how i how i saw the howling Slept yeah. through it the first time got to see it the second time
1: my my parents told me the same thing. You can watch it, but yeah. you reap what you sow. And I've talked about that before. We, we really are. I
3: mean, our generation, you know, not Moniz's generation before they had TV. <laughs> um, but, they, but they, had,
1: they had TV. It was just an experimental medium then.
3: <laughs> but our generation is really seems like the first that were really raised on, like, these very, like, moving from the black and white to the really graphic horror movies. Like, you know, going to the drive-in and seeing things like The Exorcist and even and, 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 you know, something as, as bizarre as Close Encounters that a, like a, a seven-year-old can't process the right way. It's, got, it, it seems like we're the first generation whose parents, like, not only <laughs> let us watch those things, but kind of fed us. And then throw in creature-double feature in the movie loft, which didn't edit anything, and it's no wonder we're all messed up.
2: Well, I mean look at look at look at I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a great example. At six, seven years old I'm watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, loving the adventures of Han Solo in a f in a funky hat, and all of a sudden at the end people are melting. And it's P G. Yeah. You know? Every every everything is fine. I mean, I think the first time I saw that I was horrified, but at the same time you knew this wasn't a scary movie. And so there was that definite, you know. The Goonies was another one that was quite like that, that had a lot of real adult... So, I mean, Spielberg and Lucas back in the 80s, and more Spielberg than Lucas, um, his horror movies came later, um, uh, The uh, ha- had this fine line of of what's appropriate for kids and what's not appropriate for kids. Because it had the Spielberg name on it, they would allow it out, mm-hmm. you know, with the PG or, I mean, if it wasn't for him and and Indiana Jones almost getting an R rating, there'd be no PG-13 rating, that sort of thing. And I think that there was a – as as forward as we are now in the 21st century where you can watch an R-rated movie on HBO at 2 in the afternoon or you can listen to um, uh, satellite radio, which is completely uncensored, or the Internet, which you can get anything you want at any time, I almost feel like we've sort of gone back to it almost in some ways – 1950s sensibilities on certain things we can watch the jersey shore on mtv but if there's a silly wardrobe malfunction or somebody accidentally cusses you know there's protests outside and you know they're getting lambasted it's a very odd odd thing i think the 80s were freer like that in some ways well
1: and i think too like uh, when you depending on what era you grow up in your horror is different Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, we came of age ourselves in kind of the slasher, campy horror days, when it was Freddy, when it was Jason, when it was Wes Craven's Shocker, when it was, yeah, uh, yeah. What, what was that other one that was uh, Deadly Friend with the, the robot? You oh, know, like, yeah, I forgot about you know, that one. The, <laughs> <laughs> the Gate, you know, movies like this. Eventually, you know, you get into like the child's play and scream as being mentioned in the chat room here, where it's like, uh, you know, our horror was, was based in humor, yeah, and we didn't have a lot of, and as we got older, well, then our parents would say, "Okay, now you can watch The Exorcist." You know,
2: I mean, when you look at the originals, like the original Nightmare on Elm Street, there there's no real humor in it. No, no, Freddie's no. enjoying himself, and that's that's the magic that Robert uh, Robert England brought to the role was, and that's one of the things I think that detracted from for me the experience because I was really excited. I knew it was going to be bad, but I was really really excited um, for the for the for the new uh, remake was that. What made the character Freddy special, especially in that first one, was he was terrifying, but he was having fun at what he was doing. When you saw Michael Myers that first time, there wasn't really any winking at it. It wasn't really until the sequel started coming out, and then Kevin Williamson did the script for, for Scream, and Wes Craven went back. And at that point, I don't even consider that a movie of my childhood, because I was, I think, 18 when it came mm-hmm. out. So at that point, yes, I was still a kid, but I was a kid with, you know... A better, much better knowledge of the world than I was nine years before when my mom let me stay up and watch that double feature.
1: Well, what's strange about it too is that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't that Freddie was, uh, a ca- and we did a whole show on on Freddie, Chris, uh, but it wasn't that he was um,
2: so I'm much have scary. Have to
1: download that podcast. Is he was a, an antihero? <laughs> yes, you know, exactly. and that's it. it kind of made him. Even though they say later, you know, when he started making the one liners and all that stuff in the later films. It doesn't matter. Right out of the gate, he was worshiped because he was not what you expect. He was the last remnant of punk rock. Yeah, I mean, that's really, a good way I mean, that, it, yeah.
2: that was that was what he was. He was rock and roll, and that's that was. I think probably the attraction for. I mean, a nine-year-old. I I would I I'd get this glove. I had pens on the end of it. I'd have the sweater that I had, and grab one of my dad's fedoras, and I'm running around the neighborhood, and the neighbors used to see me running around the neighborhood only, usually as a Jedi Knight or as a superhero. We're going, what, what? what is this? And I'm telling them all, I'm Freddy Krueger. Well, who's he? Well, he's a ch- former child killer who's all burnt up by parent. <laughs> okay, it's time to put the kids away yeah, and, you, um, you Mrs. Don't, you, don't, you
1: don't play with the Gothier kid anymore. Yeah,
2: Mrs., Mrs., <laughs> well, that was already there. <laughs> there were other stories. We'll leave those out for another time, perhaps. But yeah, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. It was really, it was really a transitive moment in my life, which led me directly to eventually buying. Uh, a Stephen King novel that changed everything. So Freddy, you know, it was funny. Star Wars led me, believe it or not, to Freddy because the love of imagination, the love of creating, the love of play, those actors. to the dark
0: side.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, exactly. And,
1: and I think Stephen King is the way that a lot of us in, in our generation... Uh, didn't, not only got into horror, but got into reading. Got into reading, absolutely. I, was, I remember Stephen King books being some of the first books that I read that weren't assigned school reading. Exactly. And I would see the covers of them in the store and say, wow, I really want to read that. And, you know, eventually like one of my grandparents would buy it or, or my aunt would buy it and they'd have it left over and say, you done with that? Can I borrow that? And they'd say, I don't know if you can read that. I remember checking out Tommyknockers from the Sandwich Public Library when I was in the sixth grade. And the uh, librarian telling me, oh, you can't read that. That's way too adult for you. That happened to me, actually. The, um, it was
2: funny because I, I was already into horror movies, and this was the great time to be into the horror movies because um, there wasn't all these cable channels where, you know, you could have everything's on sci-fi channel. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd be flipping through the channels on a Sunday afternoon, and some uh, UHF station or, or whatever, a syndicated station, w- had Stephen King's World of Horror which was this uh, one-hour sort of thing, not even hosted by King. He must have just it, it had some interview snippets with it. I actually found a VHS copy on eBay about 10 years ago and, and, and bought it. And um, it's cheesy, but what they did was they showed a lot of behind-the-scenes and special effects makeup for these horror movies, and Nightmare on Elm Street 4 was one of them and everything else. And I had known his name through, through that first. Um, I remember in sixth grade, we had a teacher... Uh, Mr. Sylvia at the Charles S. Asher School. He's no longer at that school. Somewhere he's in this area somewhere, and he would he was a big reader. And at the time, I would read maybe the Choose Your Own Adventure stories sometimes, and usually my character died within three pages, so <laughs> I didn't even do the. If it wasn't a movie, I wasn't interested. And um, I remember one of the boys in the class, um, got from the bookmobile of all places, Pet Cemetery which I had seen as the movie. And I remember him reading the hardcover and it kind of stuck in my head. And then about a year later, when I was in seventh grade, my sister was down at um, St. Joseph's Church in New Bedford. We lived in the North End uh, at communion recital. And I said, "I'm I'm not gonna stay here, whatever. I'm gonna go down. I'd had bad experiences. I'm gonna go down and got jumped in the hallway in catechism when I was like nine years old or something. So that was the last time I went there went down i said i'm going to go to the library so i went over to the library at brooklyn parks the wilkes library and i went through and i found the paperback copy of pet cemetery and i said oh well you know that kid he read it and that you know i like the movie let me let me take it out and try and i brought it up now about six months prior i had taken out another adult book called murder in the national cathedral or something by that by margaret truman i got about 50 pages into it and the only pleasure i got out of the whole book was that at one point in one page one of the characters said um the alternate word for poop that i guess (laughs) i'm not going to say because of the fcc i don't want you guys to get fined
1: they're asleep Um, okay
2: well then in that case uh, (laughs) um and so so here i was i said you know this stunk and that had pushed me off reading again for another six months so here we are we're in may and i took out took pet somebody brought up to the counter and she said I believe we have quite enough books in our juvenile section for you to choose from. And I said, well, that's great. Thank you for the knowledge. I was there. This is what I want. I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to let you borrow this. I said, oh, really? Well, then. Okay. Goodbye. And I walked out. And it took me up until that August. And I happened just happened to come across an interview with Stephen King the night before my thirteenth birthday, they had him on a uh, uh, prime time live on ABC. I watched the interview, and I said, "Ah, oh, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to the to the mall, and I'm going to go to Walden Books to to get some Star Wars Omnibus book that I saw the, you know, this was 1990, and they still had the 10th anniversary uh, uh, collection of the three novelizations." I said, "Maybe I'll get a Stephen King book and." I ended up by grabbing The Shining because Batman had come out the year before, and I thought I was a big Jack Nicholson fan because I'd seen him as the Joker. I hadn't seen anything else of his, and so I figured, well...
1: Well, I'm just going gonna to take a break here okay. for the news. no sweat. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about this with our guest, Bill Goff. Here. We'll talk more about horror writing, horror in general. And coming up, we have a story about a child that was killed during an exorcism this past week. So we'll talk about that and more when we come back from. on Spooky South Coast. It can't be...
2: You have a system. I'm sure I haven't the faintest idea what you're talking about.
0: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. It's boring! You're boring everybody. Quit boring everyone!
1: Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberger here, along with Asylum Assassin Matt Costa, Science Advisor Matt Moniz, Content Director Chris Balzano is on the phone, and with us in the studio is writer Bill Goffier. And Wait I apologize out. for that yawn. That's in no way indicative of of present company. It's Dude, been a I long got, day. When I got the
2: email asking if I wanted to be on tonight, I was in the middle of... I had just started watching the... Uh, cinematic masterpiece, Kevin Smith's Cop Out with Bruce Willis and uh, Tracy Morgan, because there was nothing else on. And my night pretty much consisted of my wife being on the internet, look, do, doing some uh, research on a computer, me watching this really bad '80s ripoff kind of movie that was.
1: Uh, I was finding R- homage. homage.
2: Um, I was finding quite delightful, I might add. I uh, love. My it. wife I it was, great. was hating it. She had sighed and grunted about three times. You're really watching this, and I'm thinking, I'm saying yes. Yes, I am. And I laughed a couple of times and uh got the email. I was ready for bed. I don't even know if I was going to be able to last the rest of the movie. So
1: <laughs> in 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 I understand. And hi, it took me a little while getting into that movie to realize, "Oh, wait, I get it." It's an homage to all these movies because before yeah. that I was like, "What? This is just straight crap."
2: <laughs> well, there was a scene on the internet that I forgot. I think it was I think it was actually crack.com. Hit Me Too, where uh, they're inter- interrogating a the little boy. <laughs> and I saw the scene, and I'm, that's all I'm going to say. I don't think I can say it on radio. Um, but uh, look it up, I guess. Cop out a uh, little boy scene, I guess. I don't know. But that was the one that made me go, I'm putting this on Netflix. And I didn't have to. Apparently, it was on HBO now. So we're, I was ready to go into a coma watching that.
1: Introducing parkour to a whole new generation. <laughs> Alright, well we are talking uh well we're talking about a lot of different things, but we're talking about horror writing and uh one of the things that we were talking about beforehand was you know getting into it through Stephen King. And yes. uh we we were having a discussion about each of us kinda going and trying to check out that Stephen King uh, and it sounds like you were finally able to get your hands on, on a couple of I got of my books. hands
2: on the shining and I was three chapters into it. I was reading about Jack Torrance in the uh in the Overlook basement and I I had one of the few sort of of out-of-body experiences where I actually got up and looked at myself and went, you're riveted by this scene in a basement. You've never read an adult book before. You've tried, but they've all bored you. You're in the basement and you can't put it down. And I said, this is what I want to do. This is what you want to do. And I had a manual typewriter in a closet. I set it up on two milk crates that day with one finger started clacking away and you know everyone thought i was nuts i'm pretty sure my parents definitely (laughs) thought i was nuts in high school i know social life i was too busy writing and um you know what are you doing what are you doing and you know that sort of thing but 13 years later i was in that anthology with mr king so
1: is it is it one of those which is a very cool thing (laughs) it totally is was it one of those things where you had these stories in you and you had to let them out, or were there times when you're staring at a blank page saying, I want to create something here and I just don't know where to go with it?
2: I've always had stories in me. Like I said before, I um, the Star Wars action figures, action figures in general, were my lifesaver as a child. Um, all the, the, the neighborhood I lived in didn't have a lot of kids. There were... Maybe five kids my age, all told. One was about four years older, one a year older, and one a year younger. And I'm thinking the rest were fairly small. And um, the ones who were a year older and a year younger, down, they lived down the street from me. Their mother actually told my mother at one point, you know, your son has an overactive imagination, and that's <laughs> going to be bad for him someday. Well, both her sons ended up by being scientists. For a long time, I was working at bookstores, and now I'm a teacher, so maybe she wasn't too far off with that i'm sure they're doing great things um, but on the other hand you know the imagination is, has I done well i sure i mean that's a scientist me. too so no.
1: <laughs> it's a very loose definition of the word these days no,
2: i guess but um i would be <laughs> <laughs> I, I would i would be running around the neighborhood playing either role playing like i said batman or luke skywalker or whatever i'd be with my action figures and at first the action figures whether it was star wars or gi joe were Star Wars or G.I. Joe. But at some point, relatively young, Han Solo and the Bespin fatigues became just my generic hero figure. And sometimes that Bespin outfit would be a suit and he'd be like a spy, or sometimes it'd be a cool jacket like Axel Foley would wear in Beverly Hills Cop, or sometimes he would be in a horror thing and got to the point where I would actually start timing out my stories with my action figures and called them movies. And... um that just sort of led to, led to the the typewriter thing. I, I tell my I, I tell my students because I'm in a, in a in a position teaching where I'm actually teaching kids how to tell stories. I'm not an English teacher per se. I'm certified for English, but that's not what I do. And um, I, you know, I'm constantly telling them when I sit down to to write my first draft, and and I've said this to my wife and anyone who will listen. So I'll tell your audience. Um, when I sit down for my first draft, it's me playing with my action figures. That's exactly what it is. I have action figures all in my, all around me, you know, and 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 not not all around me. I don't have that many out and stuff. Most of them are put away and hidden so that I'm not locked up. But the <laughs> the good ones, the Freddy Krueger ones, and there's you know some Star Wars and some superheroes. They're out, and part of the reason why they're out is just that reminder that that's why you're doing this, Bill. You're not doing it to. Uh, to get famous, first off, you can't because <laughs> there's like three famous writers, and we all know who they are, and that's you know, and, and that's pretty much it. You're not doing it for that. You're you, you know, it's cool to see your name on a book. I keep looking down at the book on the desk and thinking.
1: You mean shadowed? By shadowed.
2: Who is that guy? And there's another novella out called Alice on the Shelf as well, and beautiful artwork, and and I've looked at that several times, and that one means quite a bit to me, and it's always cool to see your name in print, but the fact of the matter is the reason you do it, for me anyway, is just the stories are there. I was divorced about uh, uh, five years ago now, and during that time, some of the stories, they were there, but I couldn't get to them. And man, that was was a tough, tough period, probably one of the toughest periods of my life, besides the fact that my whole life was being turned upside down and everything. And, um, you know, the stories started to come back, and eventually... I met my 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 wife my current wife and and my 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 one and only wife Pamela um say current, you make it sound like well, you know until next Thursday, yeah when you know Natalie Portman finally returns my call well, or well. Julianne Moore or whoever, but um you know no my my uh when I met my wife, I was starting to go on the upswing, but it was really after. Getting together with her in 2007—that the stories really—I found my way back to the stories again, and man, what a relief! And now it's like th- there's no—they're there. I—I I, during the break I was telling you about that one that I was thinking about the someday possibly doing. I've got about four other ones in my head. And they all seem to want to be the size of the stand or it or. I, they won't be. They'll probably be 100 pages. But right now in my mind I I'm working on a manuscript right now. I'm editing a manuscript. The manuscript is about 750-60 pages. Wow. I know that that's going to go down because it has to. But you know, I, I that that was that was the first significant thing I wrote after I met my wife. I'd say Shadow is probably the second. So, you know, I was actually working on that when I met her, one of the drafts of that, but it stalled. So um that sort of thing is the but it's the stories. That's the thing that Well
1: you you mentioned, you know, sometimes wondering why it is that you do what you do and needing that reminder of why you do what you do. And I I had you know, I put out my book Ghost of the South Coast, uh not not to make this a show about me at all, but I'm just saying It should be it's uh, our show. No, no. (laughs) It's it's the audience's show. We're just the hosts. Uh so we um I I put the book out and, you know, I I did it kinda you know, as I was writing it, I'm like, why am I doing this again? and I was doing it kind of because somebody had to tell the story of the paranormalness area exactly and I figured I'd be in the best spot to do it and, and there's a I'm a writer for it. and I should do it and it wasn't until I you know I <clears throat> illegally put it into ebook form and put it on my nook yeah. uh, which I actually just found out this week folks uh, there will be an ebook version coming out officially from the history press in the in the next few weeks so uh, but anyway I put it on the nook and I'm I'm just to see what it would look like in that form, because yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't have any I hadn't bought any books yet. It was the only PDF file I had to do, to do it with. Yeah. So uh, I'm sitting there looking at it, and my son picks it up. He's only six years old, and he's just beginning to to love reading. Mm-hmm. And he picks it up and he starts reading it. Yeah. And he's reading the chapter on Wareham, and he's like oh, oh, actually getting into it and retaining. I was like, all right. That's why you I do.
2: need to get a copy of this book. <laughs> it's,
1: it's not that. It's not. The, no, no.
2: I'm just. I'm saying. I'm interested. It's,
1: it's not. It's not that good of a feeling to Give me that you, the link. When you wrote something to somebody, when, when you wrote something and you, you realize that a, a six year old is reading it and comprehending it, you're like, No, well, yeah, Maybe yeah. it's not the masterpiece I thought it was, <laughs> but <laughs> it's still it's still good though to see, you know, to make it make that connection and, and you know, right. I mean, he's read two giant pokemon pokedex books cover to cover and i was impressed by that ability but it wasn't until i saw him reading my words that i realized that so I, i think that if you can do that if you can you know make somebody's light turn on and i'm sure with the stories that you write you you have that ability to make people's light turn on uh except in regards to your books they're turning on the light because they're getting scared
2: well, however, whatever way works, whatever way <laughs> well, works. Well,
1: what are what are some of the themes that you find that you consistent? I mean, do you try to go back to a lot of the same themes in your writing, or do you find that each one takes you in a different direction?
2: You know, one of the things because I I am the nerd that I am, I I, I and become obsessive about not just if I find a writer that I like or a musician or whatever. I've been on a Bruce Springsteen kick for five years. My wife thinks not, she's ready to jump out the window, but it's because the music had has. Uh, touch me in a way that I become the fact where I get to the point where I'm like a scholar. I want to learn everything about it. Stephen King was like that. Um, During the break, we were talking briefly. I mentioned Harlan Ellison. I find that when I'm looking at their books and their work, you can find these fluctuations. I've tried not to do that with mine too much because I don't want to be too self-aware of when I sit down, but I'm egotistical enough to have done that Mm -hmm. uh, on a few occasions, and I guess maybe if you're if you're self aware, it's a good thing sometimes. Um, as long as when you're at that computer, typewriter, uh, pad with uh, pay, uh, uh, pen, you're not aware of it. I have noticed that that there was a while where my collection. I have a collection of short stories that came out in two thousand seven called um, Catalysts, and I didn't realize it at the time because the story, the collection is a bunch of stories that were written. Over just about, I'd say, an eight-year period from two thousand, from nineteen ninety-nine, when uh, Greg Giffune, uh published my first short story in, in his um, old magazine, uh, uh, Burning Sky, right up till post Borderlands. Uh, uh, there's a great story in it called "Drawn In," which is about a homeless man who uh, who hasn't seen his daughter in twenty years, and and he had. Let, he, he had been kicked out of the marriage because he was a, um, an alcoholic and all the stuff, and he'd become drunk. And he starts having these dreams, um, these weird dreams of being on this mountaintop on this mattress, and 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 he doesn't he can't figure out why. When in one of the dreams, this giant bird takes and him, brings him down to his to to this adult to, to this little girl. He realizes this is his daughter. He sees his daughter, and now and during their conversation, becomes an adult she essentially says, you know, I found this magic pencil kind of thing and I drew this picture. I knew you'd recognize the mountain because I drew it when I was a little girl and this and that and uh, I would like to see you. I saw you the other day. I saw you a couple of weeks ago, you know, walking around the city and I want to I want to get I want to get back together and he wakes up and the bushes start to move a little bit where he's under the bridge and then the story ends and I realized at that point that that story was my Coming to terms with leaving the marriage that I had been in at the time. Um, Going back from there, I realized that most of the stories in that collection were about people being alone or having to be alone or making the choice to be alone or feeling like an outsider at some point. And I started to look at the other things that I had written, all the thousands and thousands, something like 10 books that I had written that I had never published. I only tried to publish five of them because I had started, I wrote my first book at 16. This really, really terrible 200-something page, werewolf, vampire, mishmet. Ma- terrible. First line of it is, so you know it's bad, if that's your first so, line. But, but it
1: ended up going on to become a successful series known as but, Twilight.
2: Well, you it's know. Just, you missed the boat on it. Actually, no, ahead. it was more adult than Twilight. Oh, okay. It was scary. You know? <laughs> there, there was no there was sparkling vampires in that. I shouldn't say that. My daughter is a... As a Twilight fan, God help her. Those um, are
0: vampires. Those are glampires.
2: Oh, is that what the the term is? I was Well, they're all feeding. sparkly. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Uh, oh, I just I lost it. I Sorry. lost my train of thought. No, that's fine. Well, uh, I was I was
1: babbling. I was doing It sounds. I do. It sounds though like uh, as much as you're talking about the reflection of your own life oh, uh, and it, the yes. themes in your books. The it it seems like when you're talking about these characters, do you feel like you have a responsibility to tell their stories, or do you use them more just as tools to tell your story?
2: A little of both. A little of both. I tend to have a concept before I start writing. But uh, be, I, I start with the concept. I think, wouldn't this be cool? However, I won't do anything until I have at least one or two characters, like main characters that I feel like I know something about. Um Sometimes it's nothing more than... I don't, I'm not one of those people. I don't do an, all kinds of notes pre-writing kind of stuff. I've know some I've heard of some writers who do that sort of thing. I don't plot. I don't do anything like that. Um, I, I know, essentially, the concept, and I know the main character. And I usually don't start unless I have a first line, preferably a first paragraph. And then I go from there. Sometimes it's it's the right first paragraph. Sometimes I find out it's the wrong first paragraph. But it's the thing that gets me going. And then I learn about the characters, uh, as, as the reader would often, which is why it's so important for me. I just read something that um, a, a writer posted on her website, um, you know, advice to writers in this new age of the digital book and stuff. And one of her pieces of advice was, "Don't rewrite, because if you rewrite, you're 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 more concerned with style, and nobody cares about style. They want they want the true essence of you. Well, if I." published the true essence of me it would go right into the, the trash can it's not that interesting sometimes you for me i have to overwrite before i actually get to what the 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 real meaning of the story is and then i can always take that stuff and either use it later in the book or as long as i know that it's there it might not be in, it might not be relevant to everything else but um
1: it's funny cuz i remember when i was younger you know when it was it's drilled into you you know draft 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 uh, when I was in, like, fifth or sixth grade, I had a teacher who was adamant about m- writing three drafts before you had your final. Yes. Always have three drafts and then your final draft. And I, I said, you know, I, I can't do that. I don't write that way. Everything that I want to say comes out in the first draft. And if I don't like what happens as I'm writing it, that's what my eraser is for. Yeah. And, you know, I ended up getting into a big argument with the teacher about it. And she, finally she said, listen, if you, can, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a writer. Well you're never going to be a writer if you don't write drafts. There's no job involved with writing where you could ever just write one draft and have that be it. And I actually have that job today, work at a newspaper. Well,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, well that's that's the thing, you know, and and Ray Bradbury never writes drafts. Mm-hmm. And you know, that woman might be able to do that one draft. I know for me personally. And for, you know, a lot of people, that's not the way to do it. and I think that when you're when you're young and starting out especially especially with something like this the school stuff is all bs and i yes I, I like i said i'm certified to teach english and the kids say well my english teacher told me to do this and i said your english told you, teacher told you to do that because they have to deal with 40 students uh, 25 of them can barely read mm-hmm. never mind form a sentence they're telling you to do the you know the five sentences and five paragraphs or five sentences and three paragraphs i forget what it is because they know that if if they let you do it, you might turn in a good essay. But they know if they let that one do it, the the one sitting behind you, um, they're going to get one sentence, and it's not even going to be well written. So that's why they do that. Um, you know, I, I know you know Bradbury and and Ellison, and you know they can they can write off one draft. But they also came from a time where the pulps were still you know you got you got paid that penny award well you still paid a penny award in some places now but um
1: oh i'd love to get that rate right.
2: you know i mean <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you getting paid you know i'm paid more I'm, I'm i'm paid less often than i would like to be so i'm not going to poopoo the penny award if i can get that i'll get that um you know the, the trouble for me is when they say oh well, we'll only give you a, a contributor's copy i'm at the point now in my career where by the way my career is just about non existent Um, I'm at the point in my career now where I'm not even going to accept just that, you know, give me one dollar. If I can go out and, you know, do something with that dollar, (laughs) I don't know what you can do with a dollar now, but do something with that dollar, then I'm, I'm happy, you know, just, you know, just, just, just give me work. Think G string.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is is now, (laughs) but but there must be with this rise in the interest in the paranormal Mm -hmm. with the, uh, the new way of telling horror through films with movies like Paranormal Activity, which, like it or love it, it's a different approach. Yeah. Uh, With with all these new ways of doing things and with the kind of spirituality that America seems to have these days, uh, there must be a way to work horror into uh, the culture in 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 a different way than we've seen it in the past. I mean, I think now we're starting to see a lot more of the psychological bend to things because when the world is bad, there's enough to be afraid of. Uh, you don't really need slasher flicks like we had before. Uh, do you see any new trends coming up in horror writing or in horror films or in, in, in any way in, in that genre?
2: I, I can't say that I personally do. Um, only because I'm probably not as well read right now as I would like to be in those things. I'm actually rereading Stephen King's It, so I'm stuck in the '80s and the '50s. Oh man, um, you would, know, could I'd be worse things. I read that every day if I could. I haven't read it since I was 16, and 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 things have been busy. And I said, I need, I need. Stephen King is my pair of slippers when I want to just relax. It, it's slippers with teeth, but <laughs> they're, they're slippers. And, and and I said, I came home from from. Uh, Work. I just started a class that I have to take to keep my uh, day job, and and I, I and I came home that night at nine o'clock, having come from Bridgewater, and um, I said I said I need I I need something I need something that's gonna relax me, and that's when I got I grabbed it off the shelf. I said I haven't read this since I was sixteen. Let me do that. Um, as far as the new things, I don't know. It's funny because there have been. The few reviews that have come out of Shadowed and of Alice on the Shelf and even m- my collection of short stories a couple of years back, they, they kept saying, you know, oh, innovative and going new places and this and that. And um, Tom Montelloni, who did the introduction to Catalyst, said, you know, something to the effect of I, I love the quote because it sounded so cool. And I thought I want to read this guy and I realized it's me and it can't be right. Something about he writes with an attitude that's he He write He writes he writes something he writes with an attitude that borders on cocky or something and i went that's awesome how the heck do i do that because to <laughs> me i'm sitting there playing with my stupid action figures mm-hmm. um you know I, I even the horror movies that are coming out lately i don't know where where they're heading i don't i don't know i don't know what can be new now because there is so much new stuff happening in the world in terms of like technology i'm suppose i suppose that a lot of horror and stuff can go techno wise um, which
1: surprised, i'm surprised that it hasn't you know I, we call it sci-fi well that's the thing you know it would... But I mean, if you look at a movie like I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, Deadly Friend, and if you look at some of those other movies, they had scanners, you know, the the Lawnmower you, Man. I was just
2: going to say, I mean, even just Christine, which is just a car coming to life, or mm-hmm. or trucks, or or overdrive, Drive, depending on what version you're going by. Um, you know, I would imagine that there'll be there'll be something like that. I think that one of the reasons why it's so hard to pinpoint now, and this is the case with everything, is that it's um the world is so different than it was we have so many means of information and and so many means to get information so many means to get entertainment where even when we were growing up we were just starting to get cable i mean i remember when new bedford got cable we had oh look at this we've got 30 channels and they they don't they're not that they don't have snow in them Ooh, and sometimes sometimes they'll 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 show boobies, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, that sort of thing. That's why I was up late, because I was excited.
1: <laughs> and um, and horror movies always have the best boobies. Well, exactly, totally absolutely.
2: absolutely. Blood and boobies. I mean, come on now. You can't, you, you know, you, you can't get that for a dollar. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I feel like now what happens is, you know, yeah, you're going to have the wave of the future. That's going to be the glampires. Unfortunately, mm. you're going to also get whatever is the result of those. You're going to get people who are more traditionalists. You know, the same. Pe- it's funny. I go and I said, you know, I read some reviews that said, you know, Shadowed. Or uh, uh, someone wrote somewhere on some some uh, some uh, uh, forum that Shadowed is so good and it's original and everything else. And then on some other forum, someone wrote, Nah, it was okay. And and I you know, I I guess where it was going. Now, I'm probably adding that own that tone to it, but it's funny, I was um I this this evening I was reading a uh the Rolling Stone article about an interview with Howard Stern and he was talking about how all these great things have happened to him and he's even said this uh this week talking about Twitter. He'll have a hundred people tell him how great the show is and everything, but that one person who says something negative and that's what he focuses on and that was sort of that that happened to me today. I saw that one little, and it wasn't really even negative. It was just that little bit of, oh, oh, I got to stop doing this Google thing and just get to work. You <laughs> but know? it's, it's but, that
1: one person that will be in the, the back of your mind next time, and they will say, "I'll show you."
2: Well, well, th- that's my whole my whole writing career is is number, The first part of it is the play, the action figures. The second part of it is me saying, "I'll show you too." Everybody in my life who has ever said anything negative about me or, or has put me down. I was, you know, the last one chosen in school for sports games. I, I, I didn't even realize this at one point, but just recently I was driving with, driving do, to do something just recently. I guess it was the beginning of the school year because we were going to school shopping with my daughter. And I had just mentioned offhand, oh, yeah, something. I should be able to talk my way out of fights, you know, a good talker. And I said, well, actually, I've only talked my way out of one fight, and this is when it was. And then all of a sudden... Two hours later, I had told my wife and my daughter all these stories about me getting chased home from Brooklyn Park by strangers, kids I didn't know, all these things happening. I realized that I had been bullied and had forgotten, kind of knew about it, but kind of forgotten, and all these other things. And, uh, you know, those... Going back to the question about the, the the stuff that pops up in the stories, that stuff pops up in the stories, and for a long time i wasn 't even really aware no of it I, yeah, you know I mean Shadowed has some bull- bullies in it. I just finished another novella that actually has a couple of characters that are in shadowed um, it 's not a sequel by any means as a matter of fact, I already had the story uh in mind before I went to work on this draft, and I realized I can use those two people in this story and maybe you know that will help leverage a sale later if this thing comes to fruition so i have that one that that's got bullying as a major aspect of it
1: well we had a call but it looks like it dropped off but if you want to call in and join in 508 996 500 996 1420 those are the numbers you can also jump into the chat room on spooky tv at spookysouthcoast.com and uh, you can also email us spooky crew at spookysouthcoast.com chris do you have any questions uh for for bill before we go into the next break
3: no, I'm just devastated that someone uh, that Dave just said he got my book at BJ's this week.
1: Really? Yeah, I, I, I'm
3: not sure whether he's being serious about that, but, uh, but it's, uh, that's blowing my mind away.
1: I uh, I, I actually have to... Uh, I have a picture I have to send to uh, Belanger uh, of Weird, Massachusetts on the uh, discount bin at Stop and Shop.
3: But, <laughs> well, like, well... Ghostly Adventures actually was re-released as a discount book. So how about that when your book is actually designed to be discounted? And then when I went into to, uh, Barnes & Noble, it was on discount for the discount.
1: Well, I've been doing a lot of shopping at the Dollar Tree lately, Chris, and I have yet to see any of ours there. So, you know, we're doing good. But there is a book that I'm going to buy for you there, if I remember to buy it next time I'm there. It's a, it's a, it's a book all about the films of John Hughes.
3: My word! Yeah, <laughs> we just threw Buffy and John Hughes in one Spooky South Coast episode. We do we need to focus right now
1: off the air. We were talking Dark Tower and Lost. So, <laughs> wish, so. wish you were here, buddy. Wish you were here.
3: Uh, so do I, my friend. Right.
1: Why don't we take a break then? And when we come back, we'll talk about this case. Uh, that happened in Nantucket this week where a child was killed during an exorcism. I know it's kind of a a downer to go from talking about your work to talking about a a, a child being killed, but this is uh, definitely something that's in the news, so we're going to talk about that. We'll get Chris's take as a chronicler of uh, all the things that go on in this area as well, so stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
3: got to be afraid of step aside i'll
0: show you turn on all your lights lock the doors and pull down the shades spooky south coast
1: is back
3: oh my oh low is
1: me all right welcome back to spooky south coast tim weisberg here along with the silent assassin matt costa science advisor matt moniz contact director content director christopher balzano and our guest tonight, writer Bill Gothier. Bill, you have a website that you can give out to everybody? Uh,
2: www.billgauthier.com.
1: There you go. It's the easiest way Facebook to do it. Facebook
2: and Twitter and everything else. So.
1: And it's all linked up right on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Cool. And uh, our guests that uh, did well, that were going to join us, uh, Manny and Kristen from Bridgewater Triangle Research, they're going to come on with us April 2nd. So that'll be the new date for that show. And Uh, We've got all kinds of great stuff coming up in the coming weeks, so you don't want to miss that. Next week, we're going to be talking with the folks from the South Coast Toy and Comic Show, which is coming up next Sunday at the Seaport Inn and Marina here in Fairhaven. Again, it's only $6 to get in. You're going to get a chance to meet Larry Thomas, the Soup Nazi from Seinfeld, Gremlina, former gorgeous lady of wrestling, and a paranormal investigator, actually. We're going to to talk to her. We're going to talk to her about some of that stuff. Uh, And... um, Somebody from Baywatch, I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to to remember Baywatch. My (laughs) wife doesn't like it. And (laughs) the part that I'm the most excited for, aside from all the great comic book writers and artists that they're going to have there. The cars? As well as our friends Penny Dreadful and Guru, they'll be there too. Yes, absolutely. They're going to have the General Lee. They're going to have the original Batmobile. Holy mackerel. And they're going to have the original Batcycle. And you're going to get your chance to sit in these vehicles, have your picture taken, so, uh, you hear that Pamela we're going. <laughs> there you go. Next Saturday, uh you can go to dot or or go to Facebook and look up South Coast and Comic Show to get all the information. And uh yes, Dave, the female wrestler Gremlina, yes, is going to be there. So you got to come <laughs> down. We got to get you down this area somehow and if uh the General Lee and Gremlina doesn't do it, I don't know what will. So uh that's coming up next uh next Sunday and we'll have them on Saturday night as part of that show uh as well as uh, others as well. So I can't remember who the guest is, Chris. I apologize. Can, can you can you fill us in? Oh, wait, all right, Chris. A
3: writer guy. What? My computer's <laughs> kind of on the fringe right now. I'm trying to pull it up. It's a, uh, it's the the gentleman who wrote the uh, UFO Hunter Guide.
1: Okay. Sorry, it's just it's been a long day, and uh, I'm not fully it's prepared.
3: Really and neither am I, especially with my uh, with my computer. So
1: I apologize. I apologize for your computer too.
3: Oh, no
1: problem. All right, well, I'm no, gonna...
3: if, I, if I got paid for this gig, I, we wouldn't have this. So. As, as soon as
1: we get paid, Chris, we'll be sure to pay you.
2: What, what, what? They're not paying anyone?
1: No, no, this is, we do that I all so of us out of all of our hearts. That's why uh, That's why pennies for the word would be great for us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, it's, on a serious note, though, let's get, let's get into the discussion here uh, about this case. Uh, I'm going to read the story here from the Cape Cod Times. Uh, The woman accused of killing her three-year-old daughter earlier this week believed God had instructed her to stick a rose in the young girl's throat to ward off the devil, according to documents filed in Nantucket District Court. Dora Alicia Tejada-Platez, 26, uh, was held without bail pending a mental competency hearing following her arraignment Tuesday on a murder charge. She was taken off the island Tuesday for the evaluation and is scheduled to appear in Nantucket District Court on Monday for a pretrial hearing. Uh, The police were called to the family's home at about 12.40 p.m. Monday, uh, officers found her daughter Nicole Garcia lying on the table inside the home and attempted to resuscitate her until the paramedics arrived. She was taken to the hospital where she was pronounced dead at 1:18 p.m. During an interview shortly after Garcia's death, Platez, who was originally from El Salvador, began singing and praying, telling investiga- investigators through a Spanish interpreter that the Holy Spirit could speak through her. Platez told the police that she had been seated on a couch in the living room of the Pine Tree Road home earlier in the day with her daughter and son. She described a mundane scene, trying to get nail clippers away from her son and covering her daughter with a blanket after she complained of being cold. She asked her sister-in-law, who was in the kitchen, to bring candy for her son. She then went to sleep at one point and fell to the floor with her daughter. The next thing she remembered was waking up with people in the home, asking her whether anyone had hurt her daughter, according to what she told the police. She said she had been away on a religious retreat for the past several days and could not say whether her daughter had recently hurt herself. Platez's story appears to have unraveled as the police interviewed other family members uh, her sister-in-law told investigators that she repeatedly called her into the living room to join her in prayer. Uh, she said she became uncomfortable in the situation, so she went outside and called her husband. Uh, she waited outside for about 20 minutes until her husband arrived. Uh, on his way to the home, she asked him to pray on the phone with her. Uh, during the con- telephone conversation, Platez told her brother that their dead sister, Maria Elena, was in the room with her. Uh, Tejada said while well, on the phone, Platez told him that from now on they would be calling Nicole... Maria Elena, uh, this is get, getting really bizarre. Uh, Platez had previously told her brother that God had given her the ability to see people that had died when Tejada arrived at her home, his sister was holding Nicole and would not let him take her away. Uh, she said she thought Nicole's face looked like Maria Elena's the police wrote when Tejada reached out and touched the girl's leg, she realized he, he realized she was dead. Uh, when Platez returned to the police station later in the night, she was left alone in an interview room where she placed her arms out in a cross-like manner and stood there for several moments. She agreed to speak with investigators at first, but then changed her mind. Before she left, an investigator observed a mark on her hand with a piece of skin hanging off, and she was taken to the hospital for attention. During her treatment, she stuck a rose. She said she stuck a rose on her daughter's throat because God told her to. Uh, she put the rose on her daughter's throat because demons were inside the girl, according to the translation. Pink roses and rose petals were found on the floor of the home's living room, according to the police. Uh, they believe her son might have also been in danger, she thought about fighting the demons out of both her children and at that point had one child in each arm uh so i mean just the story just keeps getting more and more bizarre uh, as it goes along and what what's strange about this chris and i know that you chronicle a lot of these uh type stories especially you know the bridgewater triangle stories that we we hear so often but uh what's strange about this is it's it's bringing in these beliefs of somebody who is obviously very religious and there might have been something else that was wrong with the child that she is misinterpreting as some sort of possession.
3: Yeah, and, and that's, that's the way it goes. When I first started doing the, the news for Ghost Village, um, I remember the first time one of these stories came up, and I, I posted it immediately. I thought it was, oh my word, this is you know this is big news. This is going to you know change things. People are going to. And what I began to find out is there's two or three of these types of stories a week. Mm. Um, and almost all of them involve people who are highly religious, um, and who turn to those religious beliefs to cure what may or may not be, you know, an exorcism, but which seems, from everyone who's involved, uh, who's looking at it rationally, some kind of mental health disorder, whether it be on the part of the person who does the exorcism, or the person who is being exercised. And it's a real, like, you know, you, 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 you think that we've evolved past this to a point where, you know, these kinds of services are available to people, and yet it's that real disbelief that keeps getting um, distorted and into thinking that this is a, a logical way to go. And, and you know, turning to your faith for problems is completely okay and it should be encouraged, but when you get to the point where you're ignoring what's in front of you, um, you know, that's an issue. And, and these are not, you know, um, these are not people whose, ideas fall into the realm of, well, we don't believe in modern medicine. It's, you know, they're taking antibiotics and doing the exorcism. So, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's, it's it's this really weird, um, you know, and, and almost all the cases, this one being kind of somewhat of an exception, there's a hopelessness there. There's a we we, we can't do anything more until here's what we've turned to. And in a lot of cases, there they could have been more done.
1: But in some cases, it's the first thing they turn to. Well, I right,
3: I mean, this this seems like a clear-cut case of, of you know, someone who has who has mental health issues.
0: What I'm worried about is somebody else pulling a copycat type thing, because, you know, things like this cause other people to have the same idea, even though they may be mentally ill as well. It gives them another impetus to Oh, copy. I read in the
1: paper that sticking a rose in yeah. someone's throat will cure them of uh, possession. I
3: mean, and the the form may change, Matt, but the the copycat effect is out there. Like I said, I get two or three stories, unique stories, which means I get 15 or 16, you know, stories that are follow-ups or from a different angle or from a different paper. I mean, two or three cases a week where this happens across this country and beyond. So, I mean, it already is a a very, very uh, stuck thing in in our consciousness that these exorcisms can
1: help. What's interesting is in the last few years in Nantucket, they also had a rash of teen suicides as well. So it seems like, um, you know, we talk about how sometimes this stuff kind of takes on a, a mass hysteria mentality, a group mentality almost. So you got to kind of be concerned about it in that light as well.
3: Yeah, and and it's, it's you know, um, and of course, what we don't hear of are the thousands of cases small or large of people who go through exorcisms that are successful. When I say exorcisms that are successful, I'm talking about people who have a strong religious belief who are in a religious culture that believes that exorcism can be a a, a weekly or daily thing and who receive, you know, the mental health help that they need because there's a smaller case. Almost all these cases seem to involve once you get the smaller children involved.
1: Is there there in, in These types of cases, uh, is there usually the situation where it is uh, kind of somebody acting on their own like this, where they they have these strange ideas about an exorcism, and there's no nope. church involved, no no guidance involved anywhere, and it's kind of just their own interpretation of what what to do? Is that it seems like most of these nope. ones that go nope. wrong, that's what happens.
3: Nope, nope. I would know from from what I've seen. There are as many. Um, there are as many cases, if not more cases, where there is uh, an authority figure who's conducting the exorcism. Really? Um, and, of, and, of course, you know, from that perspective, uh, and, and these people are often quoted as saying, you know, well, the battle was lost. It's not that, it's not that we were doing the wrong thing. We just lost the battle. Mm. Or, and this is the unfortunate thing, oftentimes it gets twisted into the person's faith was not strong enough to, 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 to bring the child through.
1: And now, unfortunately, this woman is going to have to go through, you know, uh, through a trial, uh, and I'm sure this is going to be a very sensationalized trial, uh, and, and she's only going to feel like, you know, she's she's going to feel more and more like she did the right thing.
0: Now, are they going to be blaming all of the uh, stuff in the Paranormal Society that's been out in the public for helping to feed um, her?
1: I, I think not. Maybe not necessarily in this case. And I don't know if this is, if you agree with this, Chris. We only got about two minutes left, but it seems like. Um, this is a, a case where the religious aspect of it is so great. I don't I don't think it's going to be lumped in with the paranormal community.
3: But usually, what usually happens is much more in the paranormal community. It's linked to a rise of exorcism themed movies. And you know, I'm I'm sure I'm sure someone else, whether it's uh whether it's um a Mr. Coleman or someone else, can do a comparison of when these movies are released and whether the rate goes up or down. But um, more often than not these cases are often connected to you know to a current movie that is out about exorcism and saying and putting the blame more on that than on say you know paranormal investigators or or, or ghost hunters or something like that
0: well you know how the media tends to lump things together
3: mm-hmm. right gosh darn those media people
1: <laughs> us included <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well that about does it for tonight's show chris thank you for uh, for helping us put this together on, on short notice and hey, thank
3: you, Bill, for being able to come in. That was amazing. No problem, Chris. Absolutely. Thank you.
1: One, I was going to say, once again, BillGoffier.com is the website. You can get yeah. Shadowed. You can get Alice on the Shelf. What's some of the other uh, titles that you have in mind? Any any, any cool titles that are kind of sticking out in your mind?
2: Uh, you know, right now, I've am i I've become a huge fan of Joe Hill, Stephen King's spawn, and it proves that, that some of these things can go right through the genetic pool. He's amazing, and right now go back to some of the classics harlan ellison is always good
1: i I got a title for your for your next book moniz the brain that wouldn't die (laughs) (laughs) all right so (laughs) that'll do it for this week's show uh so until next week for chris balzano from matt costa from matt moniz i'm tim wasberg we want you all to stay spooktacular